welcome to another episode of Laurel Traditions, a podcast dedicating to oral traditions alive while creating lore every single time. I am your host, Saf, and today we have another story that we're weaving together for you. No pen, no paper, and no prep. Basically what that looks like is we all tell a collaborative story by adding on piece by piece, fresh, spontaneous, off the top of the dome. Very excited. Have some lovely folks today. If you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, Diana. Hi, I'm Diana. I use she, her pronouns, and you can always find me at Aspiring Streganona on TikTok or Twitter. Hi, I'm Lorcan. I use they, he pronouns, and you can find me at Lorcan Doodle Fox basically everywhere. Hi, I'm Abby. I use she, they pronouns, and you can find me at Ipathia all over the internet. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kestrel. I use they, she pronouns, and you can find me at Oat Cookie basically anywhere on the internet. And I am your host, Saf. I use she, her pronouns, and you can find me everywhere on the internet as a clerical era 748. But now, Kess, take a couple minutes to think to yourself, and yeah, get into it. <laughs> you got it, bestie. No, no pressure. Absolutely not. Okay. We hope you enjoyed this episode titled, The Art of Making Life. Our story begins in the outskirts of a small and humble village, one filled with people who only really know the hard-working labor of a hard day's work to earn their way in this world. But not everyone in this world is like this. Not everyone in this world has had to struggle to get ahead. On the outskirts of this little town exists a tower, older than anyone can remember, older than the myths and fables that people built their superstitions upon in that very town. Older, some say, than the trees that dot the surrounding valley. This tower is home to a recluse, a shut-in, someone people swear up and down they have seen with their very own eyes, but really only exists in ghost stories. A magical sort of fellow who keeps trinkets and knickknacks galore, of all of which have their own strange, mind-bending effects. But this story is about the most recent project. Something this old, old, old man had been working on for, well, who can really say how long now, but one that has left them restless and without sleep for far too long. This wizard has been driven mad by this mound of clay they had been shaping into something resembling human, but also very small, and without the same breath of life that he himself draws. Every day, he resumes his work, carving out the muscles, the flesh, ligaments, appendages, even the little organs that are meant to give life to this creature. And every day, without fail, 
he walks away in a huff, not having been able to animate this thing. For that is the one secret he has left to uncover. Life from nothing. Eventually, a thought occurred to him. They say that the human mind can't dream new faces. That you always have to dream a face of someone that you've seen before, no matter how quickly someone you know or someone you saw in passing. And so perhaps that is what he can't get right. Perhaps that's the thing that's been tripping him up this whole time. So he doubled down and tried to focus in on this seemingly impossible task by spending most of his time focused on the face. Constantly trying to carve, reshape, cutting off bits of clay and then adding them back on. Something about it just never quite fit. And so he continued to labor over his creation with little success. Eventually, it came to him that perhaps the only solution to come up with a brand new face and one that wasn't his own was to see new faces. So, much as he was loath to leave his tower and interact with the townspeople below that he considered both physically below him and beneath him in other ways, in the dead of night, he left the tower and traveled into the town for the first time in far longer than he can remember. He got there and initially everything was as he anticipated. Quiet town, late at night, all the people in from, from their hard day's work, most likely asleep. None of the lights in the town were on. Except for one. Up in a window on the second floor of one of the houses. A light was still burning. Perhaps it was a child up late reading. Perhaps an old woman left to her needlework, but for some reason it intrigued him, although it likely shouldn't have. The old man reached his hands up, curling his fingers gently as the wind beneath him pulled at his arms, lifting him up so that he floated slightly, a shimmering blanket of stars wrapping around him to cloak him from any eyes that may view. And the warm light from that window that so intrigued him seemed to fold back, revealing a workshop not too unlike his other... his... A workshop not too unlike his own, in which a painter sat slowly and diligently moving their brushes across a canvas, the figure of a bird swooping down to grasp a fish from a river. The painter was a woman far younger than him, with long, dark black hair that seemed to 
fall down to the ground around her. And as she painted, she let the brush flit, as though it too was a bird waiting for a fish to show itself right at the edge of the water. He couldn't see her face. He couldn't grasp a new face. It was as though he was still reaching for this moment in time. He rested one hand on the window still, and as he did, she turned and alighted upon him a strange visage, because for once the glass fogged with the sudden movement, and once and all he saw was his own cragged face staring back at him. As he, uh, as in shock, he fell back down to the ground, the wind that once supported him collapsing. But the shock and excitement of that sudden glance filled him with the burning passion to create once more. So he rushed through the town in, it, in darkness, back to his tower that stood alone above, above all the land, ascending through the stairs up to his workspace. And rather than immediately picking up his tools to carve the face, he merely took his hands and started to work the clay bare, adding water working furiously into the night, shedding no sleep until the early hours of the morning, at which time he sat back, panting as he stared at the, at the visage. As the wizard looked upon his creation, he realized it wasn't alive. It still didn't have that spark, but it had something different. It wasn't quite there yet, there wasn't another person in his tower, but there was a sense of life, and he realized it radiated from himself. He had a passion to create. He looked at the scraps of clay carved off from his mad night of creation. Picking them up, he began to sculpt a bird, gently cutting away the feathers, adding small indentations assembling the wigs so it appeared to be in flight. Gently, he set the bird on the shoulder of the creation he created already. He wondered, was this life? He walked to the window, viewing a town originally that he had only seen empty. People were bustling through the streets, going about their lives. He looked upon them, searching for a figure with long black hair. He didn't see her, but he wondered if she was similar, if she felt that spark, and if she knew how to create life on an even bigger sense. He walked back to the center of his tower, observing the statue that now filled the room. This was beauty. But could it be something more? He felt he had spent more time looking at his work that he had made over and over again. Sometimes it was a person without a face, 
Sometimes it was a person with too much face and not enough shoulder. And now he had created something that he was genuinely so in love with because he had used that spark that he was sure had gone out long ago. Maybe I should go back in s into the city? Is that where I found the spark? No, maybe, maybe the spark was there the whole time, he thought to himself. But maybe that woman would know. Maybe that woman's spark lit my spark. Or maybe her spark just lit the room enough for me to see my own spark? No, that's, that's dumb, he thought to himself, looking at his work before him. Did anyone really look like this? He continued to think to himself. Did it matter? He countered his own point. And of course, this is how he spent the last millennia, as a shut-in, consistently talking to himself and making points and negating points. And finally, he thought, maybe if I take my work with me out into the world, it can catch its own spark. Now, the wizard had had many, many crazed thoughts before this, and perhaps it was the lack of sleep, or the fact that this was his millionth try, but he thought, what could be worse? Everyone already thinks I'm a little bit different, might as well bring my work with me. And so he meticulously put together a contraption, a wagon of sorts, so that he could take his work with him into town to hopefully catch a spark of its own. Maybe these feathers will be real one day, after we see enough of the world, as he carefully scooped up what he could, gently transporting it into his nice little wagon he had made. Truly you've outdone yourself, he said to himself as a jest. And then began the long, arduous journey of carrying his work down the stairs, and inside him the tiny spark grew. Of course he felt silly, of course he felt strange, even for himself, to put all this labor and all this work. I mean, he had put countless hours into this work beforehand, but now it felt different. As he gingerly balanced the work in his hands, as he carried it meticulously down each step, wobbling this way and that, hoping to the gods that it wouldn't fall over in one heap. He didn't know if he could take that. And finally, as he got to the very base of the tower and opened the door to let now what would be the late afternoon sunlight in, he left his piece of art, his life's work slightly in the shadow, holding his breath as he waited to see if you would really take it outside, if you would really show all the years that he had shut himself in for. He gripped his chest tightly before taking in one deep breath and into the sunlight he broke, pulling his tiny little cart of life with him or what he hoped would be life soon. It's one thing to present one's work to an audience, but it is another to have the proper presentation to catch eyes wherever they may be passing. 
it wasn't enough to just put these works of art on display, but there needed to be pageantry to this. Uh, curtains, uh, paints, uh, a sign. But what would this wizard call his new display? Something that could capture the wearisome spirits of the workers and laborers, but nothing so pretentious that they would scoff and just pass him over. Think. What could it be? Ah, I have the perfect name for it. He collected the rest of his materials and set off to set up shop in the middle of town, and just as expected, people were going about their same day, like automatons on clockwork, day in, day out, the same thing. But that wasn't going to stop him, in fact, he would make it his personal challenge to get at least one of them to show more than just the expression of exhaustion. So he set himself to work, uh, got this stall set up perfectly, he might say, lovely ribbons to adorn the frame of the display in which he created, and a sign above that read, The Art of Making Life. In the middle, his small clay man and bird. Hours went on by, and just as expected, maybe one or two glances fell his way every once in a while. But there just wasn't that much interest in what he was peddling. Some thought it was some sort of scam, others thought it was a waste of time. And it was strange, this new feeling of ache in the middle of his chest to have the work he worked so hard to create so easily brushed aside. But he held fast, for there was only one set of eyes in this town that he truly needed the approval of. The artist. But they'd not left their abode the entire day, and it was getting late at this point. I mean, surely she would have to leave at some point. He did, and, well, he'd been stuck in that tower for millennia, so if he could do it, anyone could. But what if... What if he wasn't a good enough artist? What if he was just playing pretend? Throwing clay together and calling himself some maker of life. Ugh, pathetic. Perhaps he should just leave the artistry to those who had been practicing and set his sights on his wizardry. Studying was what he was good at anyway. Being locked in with books and research material. It was a comfortable life, or at the very least, a life he'd known. When did he forget everything else? Well, the wizard decided, perhaps I should just leave these. Perhaps someone else was meant to inject a spark of actual life into these. And he turned away.
And so he did leave his creation behind in the stall that he had worked on so painstakingly, despite the fact that he had never used a hammer in his millennia of wizardry in a tower. Despite the fact that he had labored so long on this creation, labored so long on its companion, he left it, he left his cart, and he returned to the tower because who was he to try it something that only the gods could do? Who was he to try to imbue something with that spark? It was one thing to have it for yourself, but it was entirely another, he realized, to think that you could force it to inhabit something that it was not already inherent in. So he returned to his tower and prepared to go back to all of his books, gathered up all of the clay, all of the sculpting materials, and brought them back downstairs to the base of the tower to throw them out with the other rubbish. All this task took him all day because at this point his workshop was a bit of a artist's pigsty. Um, so by the time he had finished, uh, the sun had completely set and it was once again as dark out as it had been when he first set out. But when he opened the door at the base of the tower, there she was. It was the woman whose brushstrokes had so strongly inspired his own sculpting. And she was not alone. She had behind her everything he had left, the cart, the stall, the sign, and his creation. But whereas before it was still a plain thing made out of clay, now someone had taken the time to fire it, paint it, glaze it. And just as he felt, just as the wizards felt the spark within him, he could now feel something not quite the same, but not altogether different, emanating from what he had made. The young woman at first wouldn't meet his eyes. She was her eyes were darting around. Doubtless she was wary of him from all of the rumors and, and stories she had heard about the fearsome old man who lived in this tower. But after a few moments, she looked up and she said, I think you left something behind. He was taken aback. For this was the first time in a millennia. Not the first time that he had seen another person, but the first time that they had addressed him in many, many years. When he went to speak, he found that his voice croaked at first, as it had gone unused for just as long. But he replied, No, it's nothing, just put it over there with the other garbage. Her eyes are fixed 
finally resting upon the old man, his hair crazed and wild from years of unkempt, his robes now in the daylight, no longer their wispy grey uh, texture that made people think he was a ghost as he wandered by. This old man, she said, she said, why would you throw away that part of your heart which you have left upon this earth? And she bent down slowly and picked up the small ceramic figure with the small bird that now glistened in the light and handed it over, curling his hands over it so they protected the creation. And she looked deep into his eyes and said, This is what you have brought into this world. And if it is your choice to let it go by the side, then that is okay. But it is yours. And it is what you have chosen to place your spirit into. The old wizard stared at the figure, recognizing the long, crooked features and the tousled hair, though it may have shed a few years since the last time he looked at its reflection. As he stared into his eyes, and then back up at the woman who now turned packing away her things. A strange sense of deja vu overtook the wizard as he watched the woman, carefully packing her things, turning to go. He had been here but a night before, watching as she went about her tasks. I have a confession. Although it is my heart, I believe I've stolen a bit of yours as well. Looking upon the bird, one would see that it is similar to the painting created by the young woman in her studio. She looked up, examining it a little bit closer. She smiled. I don't know your exact intentions, she says, but I have a feeling I understand what you are trying to do. Creation is nothing without collaboration. To inspire others, that is what brings life into art. Art does not live if it does not inspire those around it. We see it in those who create. The pieces, the puzzles, everything that came before them. All weaving together to form a story that is both old and new. I think it is a worthy endeavor to keep creating, and I hope you will continue. You didn't give it a face, he retorted. You threw it away, she responded. He sat in his thoughts for a while, since he hadn't spoken to an individual in quite some time, let alone one who told him 
such things he had not heard in over... Well, really ever, now that he thought about it. He stared at the figurine that he worked on for a millennia. And the harder he looked at it, he almost felt the spark a little brighter than before. Before it was a pinprick, and now as he stood, both arguing with himself internally and arguing with this woman externally, it almost seemed that this playful argument added to the collaboration. The more he listened to her, the more he realized that there was so much collaboration happening that if he had only given it a chance, he would have witnessed it sooner. Surely, those were the shoulders of a strong worker, one of the bakers in the town, and the hands of someone who sewed. I think it was the seamstress who made quilts. And of course, the tousled hair was one of the children that played down at the playground. And finally, his almost his favorite part was the bird. Kindly sitting on the shoulder, sitting like a conscience, waiting to be heard. And the face. He held the figurine up to himself. A very gentle reflection of his own in the figurine. Well, the face didn't matter so much, he thought to himself. Maybe it was the collaboration that made the individual, that made them whole. And so he gathered up his things, and he carefully toted them all back up the stairs, gingerly hoping they wouldn't fall into a heap. And as he did, he returned to his workshop, thankful to the artist he met in the window. You guys said words and I'm feeling things. What is this? That was beautiful. Okay, so this is the part of the episode where we all chat about our fun little story that we just built together. Everyone, thank you so much for telling this beautiful story and being here to kind of piece it together. Um Kess, you started us off, so you want to give us a little bit of a background of how you came up with it? Was there anything, or were you just like, words, go, I choose you? My philosophy in life is <laughs> speak first, um, consequences never. Yes, um, yes. God can't see you until you're 30. Exactly. And I live by that. Yeah. But um, the inspiration for this, I picked Clay because I was, it was getting to like recording time and I was like super stressed because in the back of my head, I thought, okay, I might be first. Like, what are the odds of that happening? But I might be. (laughs) So what can I do if I am first and I like just sit there for 30 minutes with no idea? Um, And like, I'm currently listening to a uh, Peter Pan inspired playlist where Creature by Half Alive uh, is on. And Amazing. I had this image in my head of like, what if Clay, but person? Hmm? Uh, and I just rolled with that, really. <laughs> Truly. I, love I, <laughs> I just said some words, and then everyone else was just like, what if I like inject emotion into this? And I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Um, we had 
some people after you, obviously, Diana. Um, you kind of follow followed up with Clay Person, yes. Um, were you anticipating <laughs> anything or like kind of walk us through maybe some thoughts you had? Um, I wasn't. I was very happy to go second because it's not the pressure of starting off, but it also, you know, it's it's not quite the pressure of like there wasn't. Cass gave me a fantastic start and then I could kind of pick what kind of direction I wanted to go in which was great at first I was getting like Frankenstein vibes like making your own building your own creation um trying to like figure it out and I just was also I was then thinking about like faces and that that fact that I'm not even sure if it's true about the like they say that you can't dream faces you haven't seen before yeah 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 Mm -hmm. I feel like I read that on Tumblr in 2014 and I've taken it as fact ever since. Yes, facts only. Um, But either way, I was just thinking about that and I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, this is where he's going to get hung up. Um, And then uh, things took a surprisingly wholesome turn as as we went on, which was very fun. I thought we were going for like some existential horror and then it ended (laughs) up being existential wholesome. So good, um, good. <laughs> existential wholesome. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. I love that like Diana and I were on the same mind of like somebody's gonna get struck by lightning and turn into a boy. This is Pinocchio mm-hmm. surprise. Um but that's amazing. And then Lorcan went after, so any thoughts on how you transitioned that and all that good stuff? Yeah. I definitely was also in the, like, oh, yeah, let's go spooky sort of a vibe. <laughs> and then, I don't know, I, like, I when I started describing him uh, making the doll, I was trying to bring that back in because, like, when I talked about him, like, seeing the artist and I was like, oh, yeah, this is a cool thing that could happen. And then, and then he got back to the thing and I was like, oh, wait what we on like a little bit of a horror bent i should like make him be really like wild making this and then and then i was like well i guess this is happening now i love the artist thing the 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 like him turning into like this uh, going from like mad scientist to just like oh yeah i'm actually just a dude who really loves painting i mean studying <laughs> was really hard honestly <laughs> let's just go back to pain <laughs> Good. Which which I relate relate to so hard in <laughs> academics are too hard. Go back to the pain. I wasn't good at this immediately. <laughs> no. <laughs> Incredible. Um yeah, so then we transitioned kind of from him like looking in on the painter and whatnot, and then Abby picked it up very nicely. Yeah, so I didn't pick up on the horror at all. I just no subtext ever, literal. That's all. Very good. <laughs> but I might be biased. Um, I am a sculptor. When I, If I was at school, I would be in the 3D studio sculpting of clay, if I could be. And one of my projects my sophomore year was to create a clay bird. So I was like, oh, yeah, I remember being up all night in the art studio, madly trying to finish this statue. And at last second, I added a bird to it. This seems like a good idea here, too. And it could be symbolism because there's a bird in the painting. Perfect. (laughs) I love that so much. I I was really uh, pleased to be at the end um, because I've been at the end, like, I think once before this. And it's just such a different facet of kind of like Diana was saying, like, you it's not the first part and it's not the end, like the middle parts. But the ending has like 
each task has its own little concept that you go with as you're doing it. And so especially hearing all of you lovely folks tell this story and then starting with one concept. And I've actually talked about this in a couple episodes. I love how everyone can have their own idea of what's going on. And then somehow, some beautiful way, we all end up cultivating a story together. Um, because a couple of us were like, yeah, horror, Frankenstein, question mark. And then it ended up being this lovely story in the end that we all told together. So yeah, fantastic. This is kind of just like an open portion part of anybody, um, if y'all had any thoughts or whatnot, but fantastic job altogether. It, like when... It, it actually was funny because when uh, Cass started talking, they were talking about a tower that no one really understood why it was there, but it was always there. And then there was this person making stuff. It immediately made me jump to this children's book I had when I was a kid. It was a very disturbing children's book. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't. are. Yeah, no, uh, it was, and it was a story of like a clock maker, a clock tower and every year the clock like apprentice the clockmaker apprentice had to make uh an animatronic that would go in this clock and it was filled with animatronics and it was this really creepy story of a, him slowly turning a prince into an animatronic and it like and i couldn't get that out of my head so at, at, no matter even at the very last moment when you were talking Saf, and you were like wrapping things up i was half expecting you just to be like and then the thing came to life and killed them all i was like Whoa. i feel like um it was very clear that this is uh is a story being told by a bunch of artists um, a bunch of writers and artists, uh, <laughs> you know, because we all, you know, I think that I've talked to my professors and stuff about this. I think that you have to be a little bit like the wizard to create. I think that you have to be a little bit insane, a little bit obsessive, and then a little bit um, arrogant to then try to show this to the world and to have like that courage to step up and say, I made something really cool and people should look at it because I worked hard on it and I think it's really cool. And I think that you have to be a little bit crazy to do that. Um, and then, you know, there pe sometimes people just aren't interested. People don't like what you have to say or what you've made or not even that they don't like it, but just that they don't even take the time to look. Nobody cares. And, yeah, they don't really, they just, they don't care. Um, and that can suck and you feel defeated and you're like, I'm going to crawl back into my hole and never show anyone every anything again. I'm going to quit and throw out all my notebooks. This is the end of the line. I'm going to become a plumber. Um, and you just are like, I'm done. Um, and I think that we've all probably had those moments. Um, every now and again, I look up the, uh, the how to transfer uh, page on my school. Yes. And I'm like, Good. what if I just left? <laughs> um, you know, but then it always is that one person who sees the potential in what you've made and is like, let me help you figure this out. Let me help you edit this. Let me help you, um, you know, make changes to this to make it into something whole and to make it into something that is going to be worthwhile. So I feel like, you know, intentionally or not for any of us, I kind of was thinking about that as I was talking. I don't know if you guys were, but um, the whole story wound up kind of being this really apt metaphor for the creative process as far as I see it. So I thought that was very cool. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's funny you say that because while it was not originally intent, intended, and I don't even think I picked up on it whilst we were doing the first go around, I think when it came to presenting everything for the first, like 
oh, here's this display, here's this. Part of me thought like, hey, wouldn't it be really fun if you like experienced imposter syndrome for the first time? Um, which is sort of like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said, wouldn't it be fun? <laughs> so, like, see a guess. I think like subconsciously, I ended up picking up on a lot of what had been said before anyway. But like, as Abby said before, I cannot intuit anything anyone is going for. I just say words and it turns out okay. But truly and honestly, this story turned out so beautifully. It's just being this analogy for like, as you said, like the creative process that I don't know if anybody really intended to happen. We were just sort of talking and it was like, this is my experience with creating things. And it ended up being really conducive. Um, I do also want to quickly add, I think there were two lines by both Diana and Abby that just completely floored me in the second go around. Both of you had like mentioned uh, about the heart and it's like relation to the creative process. And both times I was completely fucking floored. Um, so congrats to the both of you. Um, you already knew this, but you both own my heart. Uh, Lorcan and Saf, you obviously do as well, but this is just the most recent emotional <laughs> bout I felt so people, yeah. yeah and rightfully so yeah rightfully <laughs> so um yeah fantastic job everybody it was so beautiful there were so many twists and turns um being at the end of each round I was just kind of like I, I got the privilege of sitting back and watching you all tell this story and then when it came up to my turn I was like eh, oh it's me he's like whose kid is that oh it's mine hang on a second um <laughs> And that was the privilege that I got today. But thank you all so much for being on this episode of Laurel Traditions. It has been such a pleasure to have you. And for all of our listeners, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. You can find everybody uh, in the bio. They're going to have all of their usernames and whatnot and where you can find them. And then Kes, tell us about Starlight Tales and when where we can find them and whatnot. You can watch Starlight Tales on Twitch every Saturday at 1pm EST in varying times across the world. And I'm not going to do the math that Lorcan has to do every week. I'm so sorry that you have to. Um, where we play this space pirate D&D uh, adventure set in 5th edition, uh, set in a world of Lorcan's creation, uh, which has time and time again, like, without fail, uh, just pulled the rug out from under me emotionally every single time. And I think the rest of the players can attest to that. Uh, we're about to go into this huge arc that um, I'm not ready for, and it has nothing to do with me. So fucking good luck, Diana. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for listening to Laurel Traditions, a podcast dedicated to keeping oral traditions alive while creating lore every single time. We'll see you next episode. Bye.